he lives in the spectrum of the universe. When he ventures beyond this limit, he is in the unknown, a realm where strange forces are brought into play. When man attempts to misuse these forces, he is sometimes destroyed. This is Macabre. The Far East Network presents, in special performance, Macabre. Tonight's story, The Crystalline Man. Yes? This is Thomas Payne of the National Museum. I'm calling for Professor Abernathy. We've been trying to reach you for a week. I've been out of town. Gone. Uh, it's about the expedition to the glacier. Oh, oh, what, have they returned? Well, yes, unexpectedly. Did they find anything? Uh, not exactly. Uh, you see, uh, Professor Norden... Come, come, what about Professor Norden? Uh, he... he did not come back. What? The members of the expedition are meeting tonight at the museum. Can you attend? Certainly, Mr. Payne. What time? Eight o'clock. And may I ask you, sir, not to fail us? Of course I won't. But what's happened to Norton? At the moment, sir, I cannot say. We'll expect you then at eight o'clock. What we have to report is of the utmost urgency. Now, gentlemen, a simple expedition to the Arctic and you come back whimpering like children. Now, really, what do you expect me to think, Professor Abernathy? Uh, please be seated, Dr. Vega. Thank God you've come. You know Thomas Payne of the museum? Yes, yes, he telephoned me. And my associate, Craig Taylor. How do you do, Mr. Taylor? Good evening, Doctor. Now, what happened to Norton? It's uh, hard to explain. Professor, either he came back or he didn't. Which was it? He did not. That thing in the other room. Not yet, Payne. Thing? Thing? What thing? Before you see it, Doctor, it will take explanation. What do you think I am, a child? You believe I'm, I'm too naive to know the facts? Let me refresh you. I backed your expedition. My father disappeared in those wilds five years ago and was never found. Professor Norton thought he knew the route, that he could find some trace, but you return without him cowering like a pack of whipped puppies. Now, speak up, gentlemen. What happened? Have patience with us, Dr. Vega. We, uh, we have stumbled upon something we do not understand. Something that has cost the life of Professor Norton and may not stop there. Well, well, go ahead. Tell me the full story. We had camped for the night on the glacier. The next morning, we noticed a fissure in the ice. A passageway large enough for a man to crawl through. In the ice, we could see the frozen body of a dog. It wasn't one of ours. I thought it might have been one of your father's. Norton decided to crawl into the fissure to investigate. Taylor remained with me. A storm came up suddenly, and when we called out to Norton in the passageway... Professor Norton, have you found any trace? Professor! What do you make of it, Craig? He's been in there 15 minutes. Do you think he's all right? I don't know. We haven't heard from him since he left us. With a storm blowing, a fissure isn't exactly a safe place to be. Danger of an avalanche. Better warn him. Professor Norton, there's a storm. Let's get out of here. No answer. Got a flashlight? It's dark in there. Yes. Come on, we better look for him. 
Fisher doesn't appear too old. No, perhaps only a few days old. Otherwise, there'd be a heavy layer of snow on the bottom. I hope that ice overhead is solid. Any kind of slide would bury us. Pitch black now. I didn't realize the passage was this deep. What's that ahead? Huh? It's like a rock where the glacier meets the mountainside. A few more feet and we'll be there. Why, it looks like the entrance of a cave. Norton must be inside. Certainly took a chance going this far by himself. Shall we go in? We have no choice. Look, it's not a natural cave. You're right. The entrance is a carved arch. Solid quartz. Do you recognize the symbols? I've never seen anything like this before. Quite a fine, Craig, and by coincidence, too. If that fissure in the ice hadn't opened here, it might have been lost forever. How old would you guess it is? Impossible to tell. We've got to find Norton. Hand me a light. I'll go first. Professor Norton! Professor! Looks like an ancient crypt. Tarnished urns, ornate carving. Unhealthy atmosphere, Craig. I don't know what we've stumbled on, but it's from the past I know nothing about. Where could Norton have gone? Seems to be the only room. He's got to be here. I'll move the light around once again, slowly. A man just doesn't disappear in thin air. What's that? Where? Pile of rubble. Something caved in. Yes, in the corner. Come on. It's Norton. He's alive. Quick, clear the rocks. He's caught in the slide. Professor Norton, can you hear me? Yes. I'm done for, Abernathy. You and Crane, get out of here as fast as you can. Nonsense. We'll have you free in a moment. There's another room behind those rocks. Don't, don't go in there. I moved some rocks to cover the doorway. Slide buried me. Did you find a trace of Dr. Vega's father? No. Just cover that doorway and leave. Norton! Poor devil. He's gone. Strange. What's that? I am not a medical doctor. But he doesn't seem to have been fatally injured by the cave-in. What do you mean? The answer may lie in there. He was probably delirious. We'd better get out of here. But before we do, shouldn't we have a look? Norton warned us. Would a scientist refuse? After you, Professor. Careful, Craig. Don't upset that boulder. It could stop all our plans. He's under that arch. We don't know how old this is. It may crumble. Why, it's just a room like the other. Look, straight ahead. At the foot of that altar. Yes. Sparkles like a jewel. That's what Norton warned us about. Nonsense. We're scientists, Craig. Norton was no fool. Neither am I. Let's have a closer look. Ten-foot jewel. A prize from the Arabian Nights. Or a quartz sarcophagus. Of course. Why was Norton afraid of it? It's not locked. The lid can be raised. No, Professor. My boy, this is what every scientist dreams of. How can you refuse? All right. I can't tell why. Something seems to be warning me to leave this alone. If you have to, take a look. and Let's get out of here. Give me a hand. Okay. What was it? What did you find in the sarcophagus, Professor Abernathy? Will you follow us, please, Dr. Vega? Wait. It might be better to destroy it. Mr. Taylor, you can't do that. Yes, I know. The museum. You might remember we have financed your exploits for many years. There is some sort of obligation to us, don't you think? Pardon me. I'd forgotten the commercial aspects. The public has a right to see these remnants of mankind's past. Gentlemen, uh, will you follow me, please? Frankly, we are at a loss to make it out. It's entirely beyond the range of my experience. 
In the center of the room, if you will. The quartz sarcophagus. Well, what are we waiting for? Open it. I hope we don't regret this. Help me, Craig. Okay. There it is, Dr. Vega. This is incredible. Is it some kind of joke? We wish it were, Doctor. Man. A crystalline man, perfect in detail, even to his thumbprints. It's fantastic. What do you think, Mr. Payne? I haven't had a great deal of time to research it. However, I can't link him to any period of recorded history. He is not prehistoric as he resembles modern man. His clothing is well tailored, though of a design I've never seen. He looks 45, intelligent and scholarly. He doesn't have the appearance of death. The strange part is, instead of flesh and blood, he seems to be pure crystal. Is it possible the man could once have lived? And if he could, what forgotten tongue lost in the antiquity of time would he speak? We may know tomorrow. How do you mean? I believe that by some process unknown to us today, this man is still alive. We've tried everything. He is solid crystal. I was mistaken. He is perfect to the last blood vessel. Why should a man who is not flesh and blood need blood vessels? Shall we admit he is merely a sculptured statue? We don't seem able to prove otherwise, but I feel some obvious fact is escaping us. Wait. There is one further chance. He may be a silicon form of life. In that case, he should respond to electric shock, be recharged, so to speak. Let me connect these electrodes. Any sign of life will show in the form of a brain wave on the electroencephalogram. Good thinking, Professor. Mm. There. Now we'll give him a jolt. Hmm. Nothing. Try it again. Not a thing. Look! An eyelid moved. No, Payne, you're mistaken. Nothing moved. Professor, did you see? No. If he's alive... It's in a form unknown to us. What will you do with him? You finance the expedition, Dr. Vega. You call it. But, gentlemen, the museum... Mr. Payne, can't you forget that place? Does every scientific discovery have to go on display like a bargain in Gimbel's basement? Well, I only assume the, the body would have to be disposed of somewhere. Are you sure you want it, Mr. Payne? After Norden's warning? What happened to Professor Norden had nothing to do with the crystalline man... He was probably delirious when you found him. All right, enough. The truth of this still escapes us. However, it, it can serve no purpose by remaining here. We may have it. You may regret it, Payne, but... Go ahead. Take it. Put it on display in the, the slumber room. That may well be what he's doing. Very well. We'll exhibit it in the public interest... with the provision that you retain the right to examine it when you choose. Oh, Professor, I just left the coroner's office. Too bad. The coroner's office? The guard we found unconscious here this morning. The one guarding the crystalline man last night. Yes? He just died. Act two of The Crystalline Man will be heard in a moment. But first, what causes traffic accidents? Weather conditions, road conditions, vehicle conditions. These all have some part in the total traffic picture, but it's the driver's own conditions, both mental and physical, that cause a great many of the accidents that you read and hear about day by day. 
You may find somewhere in the accident report that the driver in an accident was tired, angry, inattentive, or had been drinking. Harder to find in the report would be the driver's mental state at the time of the accident. In many cases, the driver didn't know, didn't think, or didn't care about the possibility of having an accident. How can he be made more aware of the danger he is causing to himself and everyone else? The National Safety Council suggests one good way is by an active community campaign against such thinking. And that's where you come in. Our community and our local safety organizations need your active support. Let's all accept our responsibility to join the fight for life and help save lives. And now, Act Two of The Crystalline Man. You kids eat like horses. It's a good thing your father makes a little money. Takes it all just to feed you. Great. Now stop it. When you were their age, you had some life in you, too. <laughs> There's plenty of life left in this old boy, Mary. <laughs> hey, Dad, when you quit laughing, can I ask you a question? Go ahead, Jimmy. Try me. After supper, can I go over to Ralph's a while? And can I go, too, Daddy? Now, wait a minute. Both of you? What's going on? Ralph's got a new turtle. You children run along. But don't be out late. Oh, boy. Come on, let's go. Jimmy, you and Christine be careful and come home before dark. Wow, a couple of wild Indians. <laughs> Reminds me how old I'm getting. Oh, darling, they're just little children. I wish I could be carefree like that. Craig, things are different, aren't they? Oh? Oh. Something's bothering you. You're imagining it. No, no. Ever since that last trip, you, you all seem worried. How long has it been in the museum? Two weeks. Two weeks. And two more. Don't go on, Mary. The police said Mrs. Locks died from natural causes. She was found the next morning by her pail and mop in the Egyptian room. And what about Gus? Faithful old Gus. Best night watchman we ever had. I know. He was old and ready to retire. But don't you think something got him, too? He was found like Mrs. Locke, dead the next morning. Mary, you'd... Uh... There's talk now, Craig. Before long, people will be afraid to go to the museum. If the police find any connection between those deaths and this, this crystal and man, you'll all be in trouble. It's against any kind of logic to think that. Darling, you've said so yourself. There are many things in this world we don't understand. That doesn't mean they don't exist means at the moment we haven't the capacity for understanding. We've uncovered the genius of some civilization long past. If the man is not a statue, he certainly isn't a corpse, then he was preserved for a reason. Professor Norton suspected right away. He was trying to wall up the crypt so he wouldn't find him when he was fatally injured. Now the crystalline man lies in the museum like some Trojan horse, harboring God knows what menace from the dawn of time. I'm sorry, Mary. It had to come out. I'm glad you said it, darling. We should have destroyed him. We couldn't bring ourselves to do it. He's so lifelike. Would have seemed like murder. You can't let things like this continue. The police have nothing to go on. But you know what's wrong. You can stop him. All I have is a feeling. A suspicion. I promise you, Mary. What, darling? If there's another death, I'll take it on myself to find out what's wrong with a crystalline man. <laughs> Watchman, you want to ask him, Christine? No, you ask. Oh, all right. Mister? Eh? Museum's closed. You kids go away. I gotta ask you something. Run along now. Be dark soon. You ought to be home. Please, mister. We have to go inside. Oh, do you now? You tell him, Christine. Okay, Jimmy. We were here after school today. I left my homework in there. Museum's locked up. Come back tomorrow. Your books will be turned into the main office. You can pick them up then. 
But you don't understand. She has to study her homework tonight. Don't you see? Or I'll get a spanking. Do your parents know where you are? Gosh, no. They think we're at Ralph's seeing a turtle. We said that so I could get my homework. Please, mister. Well, you should be more careful. You don't want us to get spanked, do you? I'm not supposed to let anybody in. I might lose my job. Regulations, you know. It'll be a secret just between us. We won't tell anyone. Yeah, a secret. Okay. Just between us, then. But remember, no tricks. Whisk in, pick up homework, whisk out. Just like that. Check. Check. Know where he left it, Christine? Yes, on the table by the dinosaur. It's pretty dark. Can you see your way? I think so. Be right back. What's your last name, son? Taylor. What? Your father's Craig Taylor? Sure. Professor Abernathy's associate. I knew it. Now I will be in trouble. Don't worry. We won't tell him. Some days you can't win. Christine, hurry up. Let me go in. I'll find her. Ah, uh, yes. Good idea. Quick, get your sister. Hurry up, son. I don't want any trouble. Uh, now I've done it. When the professor finds I've broken regulations, I'll be out of me job. That's funny. Those kids are taking a long time. Christine! Jimmy! Make it snappy! Hope nobody comes along the street and sees me here with this door open. Oh, goodbye job. Hey, those two ought to be back. I don't hear us peep out of them. Getting too dark in there to make much out. Hey, Christine! Jimmy! Uh-oh. I don't like this. Hey there! You kids all right? Was she, Craig? Edna Thorpe, a cleaning woman. Please, Mr. Taylor. I hope there won't be no trouble about me letting the kids in. How did I know they'd find old Mrs. Thorpe dead? Natural causes again, Craig? Police coroner said heart attack. Christine, you're sure the dead woman was the only thing you saw? Yes, Daddy. I just found my homework when I saw her. Then Jimmy came in. We were too scared to move, Dad. Uh Uh-huh. What are you going to do? Mary, you can see what we're facing here. Take the children home. I'll be along later. But, Craig, aren't you coming with us? No, I'm spending the night in the museum. It's time we learn the truth. Not alone, darling. That's too dangerous. The deaths occur only when there are no witnesses. The only way to find out is to bait the hook. I'll stay in there alone tonight. The killer may be tempted to strike again. And then we'll know. Ten past two. Getting sleepy. Big place. Those two dinosaurs aren't kittens. Egyptian mummies back in the east wing. Caveman relics. And the crystalline man in the slumber room. He's a standout, all right. Attracts the crowds in the jewel sarcophagus. There he is. Almost in a standing position. Sarcophagus tilted back so he can't fall out. Six feet of complete mystery. A man of the world, but not of this world. Question is, is he statue or is he real? I think Norton knew. Too bad he couldn't have told us more. The strange thing is that in this collection of relics of the past, he alone doesn't reflect some state of decomposition. The key lies there, I'm sure of it. But logic tells me our killer is flesh and blood. <sighs> Wish they turned on more light at night. I'm sorry I sent everyone away. The place has an eerie, uncomfortable feeling. Where's that chair around here? Oh, there it is. 
feels good to sit down. I don't think it'll hurt to close my eyes for a moment. I've been over every inch of this place. Safe enough, I guess. <sighs> Could be coincidence. Those people who died all old, including Norton. Oh, boy, I'm getting sleepy. Maybe a little catnap wouldn't hurt. Just a little whimper. Shadow's standing over me. How could anyone have caught him? Can't see in the dark. Something is going to hit me. But, uh, uh, stop! Who are you? Beyond my capacity to understand. The crystal and land. And you are alive. Since the beginning of time. How old are you? Perhaps a million of five years. But, but modern but man, man doesn't go back, back that far. If time be curved, oh, I say, I am old enough to be from the future. Who are you? We are also men of science. Perhaps we, we, we can get together. Why haven't you risen before? I see. With the life force of others. So that's what Norton knew. Revive him and there'd be no stopping him. any closer. Fear me not, Savage. I am warning you. Where can thou escape? The wall is behind, and I am before thee. Keep away from me. Now, Savage, I shall spank thee to death. 
scream. High enough to shatter crystal. You saved my life. Look, the man of a million years at our feet in a million pieces. just heard Macabre, a special Far East Network presentation. Tonight's story was The Crystalline Man. In our cast were John Buey, Milton Radmilovich, Walt Sheldon, Army PFC Alan Frank, William Verdier, Mitzi Hennessy, Christine Verdier, James Sheldon, Air Force Sergeant Al LePage. Associate Director was Carolyn Johnston. Technical Supervision by Hiroshi Ono with special sound patterns by Airman First Class James Conley and Air Force Sergeant Bob Eddy. This is Air Force Sergeant Al LePage speaking. Macabre was written and directed by William Burdier. Macabre comes to you each week at this time through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Network presents in special performance, Macabre. Tonight's story, The Edge of Evil. As I came closer, Carla turned up against the storm. I saw the house in more detail. It was a house out of the past. Towers, turrets, bay windows, gingerbread scroll worked like rickrack on a spinster's bodice. A white flash of lightning revealed everything in a frozen moment. There was a tower near the house... A round tower, perhaps three stories high. I had no idea what it was. I had never seen anything quite like it in the New England countryside. I reached the front door. There was no bell. There was a huge brass knocker. No answer. I was disappointed. I'd assumed from Lucy's letter that she'd be home when I arrived. And I didn't like the idea of walking back to the station in this thunderstorm. I knocked again. Door opened slowly. A creature stood before me. 
It's difficult to think of him as a man. He was twisted, ugly, distorted. His eyes were bright, and they fastened themselves upon me like sharp pins. Yes? I... I'm Jerry Mayer. You're not Professor Narvik, are you? No. Isn't it obvious? Is the professor here? Is is Mrs. Narvik here? Come in. I don't know whether the professor expects me. You see, it was Mrs. Narvik who asked me to come. Yes. The clerical collar you're wearing. A minister. You would be Lucy's friend. She's not here now. Professor Narvik took her out tonight. <laughs> I think he means to prove something to her. You'll forgive me. I'm at a loss here. I don't think Lucy mentioned you in her letter. No, she would not. I'm Chester. Come, let me take you into the living room. Here you are, Reverend. Brandy. Or are you going to pretend it's wicked and sinful? I'd say on a night like this, it's very sensible. Ah. Now, when do you suppose Lucy, uh, Mrs. Novick, will be back? I think you better wait, Mr. Mayor, till the professor comes home. I think he will answer your questions. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have work to do out in the tower. I saw the tower out there. What's it for? An old shot tower. They used to make musket balls by dropping pellets of hot lead from the top into tubs of water. Today, well, let's say today, we still use it for a scientific purpose. Good night, Mr. Mayor. As I sat there in that huge old-fashioned living room, I suddenly became aware of some strange presence. What I felt was almost impossible to describe. Not sound, not sight, not touch. It was feeling, pure inner feeling. There was something evil in this room. I wanted to rise. I couldn't. I wanted to scream. My throat was paralyzed. The room began to spin. An evil force swirling tornado-like all about me. The edge of blackness. The edge I opened my eyes. I was in the same chair. I don't know how long the blackness had been all about me. A dim face swam in front of my eyes. Then suddenly, it took form. Jerry. Jerry Mayer. Oh, Jerry, I'm so glad to see you. Even if I did find you fast asleep. Hmm? Oh. oh, yes, asleep. I, I must have dozed off. I'm sorry, Lucy. Nonsense, Jerry. Don't apologize. You're here. That's all that counts. Yes, I guess I am. But I expected to find you when I came in. I know, Jerry. I should have been here. Richard insisted I go with him to a lecture. It was very dull. Where is Richard, uh, Dr. Novick? Oh, he'll be here in a moment. He wanted to see Chester out in the tower. You said you were in trouble, Lucy. What kind of trouble? Could we... Could we wait till tomorrow? If you like. I'll run upstairs now and freshen up. Make yourself at home, Jerry. I'll try to. There was something wrong here. Something wrong with the house. Something wrong with Lucy. 
As I took a few aimless steps in that old living room, a figure suddenly appeared in the door. A tall man of 45 or so, lean, dark, saturnine. I needed no introduction to know that this was Dr. Nordick, Lucy's new husband. Good evening, Mr. Mayor. Lucy has told me all about you. You'll forgive me if I fail to show enthusiasm. Ordinarily, an old friend of Lucy's would be welcome. What disturbs me, I'm afraid, is the reason you've come. That would make you pretty perceptive, Dr. Nordick. I'm not sure of the reason myself. It's clear enough. You are here because of Lucy's ridiculous superstitions. I'm here because she seems to be afraid of something. Let us state the case correctly. Because she imagines she's afraid of something. She thinks there is some sort of apparition, some sort of evil presence in this house. She may have reason to think it. Allow me to correct you. There is nothing that has not been explained, or at some future time will not be explained. I do not expect you to agree. But Lucy is my wife, Mr. Mayor. I will not have my wife in the grip of savage superstitions. I see. And now, since I have some difficult research tomorrow, if you'll excuse me, I will take some sleep. Good night, Mr. Mayor. Good night, Dr. Narvik. Maybe we'll both see things differently in the morning. I awoke in a cold sweat. I knew something was in the room. It was a medium-sized room with a bed and bureau. An ordinary guest room Lucy had given me. The window was open, but there was cloud cover. And it was pitch black. I could see nothing. There was no lamp, but I had left my lighter on the bedside table. If I could just make a little light, I'd feel better. I reached for the lighter. <gasps> and something put the lighter in my hand. No, no, this is plenty. Go on with your story. Well, I suppose this is a good chance to tell it. You see, Jerry, I really did love Richard when I married him. I looked up to him, admired his brilliant mind. He is brilliant, you know. Has a worldwide reputation as a physicist. Mm Mm-hmm. Go on. Well, Dick bought this old house because it was near the university and because it was a bargain. You see, it's, it's supposed to be haunted. And do you really think it is? Jerry, you know why I really called you don't you? Because you needed help. A special kind of help. You were an ordained minister. Isn't there a, a technique for for ghosts? Isn't there some sort of ritual? <laughs> you mean exorcism? <laughs> yes, uh, there is such a thing. I've looked into it. Ceremony dates from medieval times. Bell, book, and candle. But uh, it should be used only in extreme cases. <laughs> That day, I examined the old house from top to bottom. I found nothing unusual. In the afternoon, Lucy called to say she'd be delayed at a faculty wives' dinner. Dr. Narvik was still at the university. As darkness fell, I found myself once more alone. I went to the big living room, opened a book, and sat in a Victorian chair. I suppose I had read a chapter or two when it happened. Once more, I was aware of something, some evil presence in the room. This time it was more than simply a feeling of evil. This time I heard something. It was a human voice. But what kind of human? I couldn't say. I rose and began to look all around the room. I looked in every corner. The walls, the ceiling, all the doors and windows. 
There was a small closet in one corner of the room. I stepped there and opened the closet door. A human skull stared out of me from that closet. From its grinning mouth came the horrible sound of someone in pain. Well, what happened to you, Mr. Mayor? Don't tell me my wife has also got you believing in ghosts. Dr. Narvik, there is something very strange going on in this house of yours. Really? I'm afraid there's nothing I find strange. Uh, would you care for a drink, Mr. Mayor? Not now, thank you. Then you don't mind if I have one? No. I think we'd better have a talk. Huh? That's exactly what we're doing, is it not? Dr. Narvik, there's a small closet here beside me. Have you looked into it recently? No, I, I don't think so. Why? Suppose you look into it now. Very well, if you wish. Well? Well, what? What do you see there? Just an old skull. Just an old skull? And do you have one in every closet? My dear Mr. Mayor, it is a skull I got from the medical department when I was doing research on radioactive carbon in bone matter. Dr. Narvik, that skull moaned. Now, don't look at me like that. I heard it moan. Before it did, there was a presence in this room. Something evil. Yes. No doubt you felt something. But it will have an explanation. Perhaps something as simple as indigestion, eh? What have you been eating? Nothing unusual. Chester gave me a glass of brandy when I came in out of the rain. That's all. Brandy, eh? Well, there, there could have been something in it. Yeah, let us look at the bottle. Huh? That's strange. I was sure I had a bottle of brandy here. It was here last night. Uh, no matter, we'll find it. Perhaps Chester took it with him to the tower. Oh, in that case, I think I'd better have a talk with Chester. Mr. Mayor, please. I do not like to be an ungracious host, but I'm afraid I will have to forbid that. Why? Chester is doing important research in the tower. I do not want him disturbed. And uh, speaking of research, I have my own work to do. You'll excuse me, eh? I have nothing against you personally, Mr. Mayor. But there is one thing you must understand. Yes? There is nothing I will not do to change Lucy to my way of thinking. Good night, Mr. Mayor. Sleep well, if you can. Act Two of The Edge of Evil will be heard in a moment. To save your life, you can't beat a seatbelt and careful, courteous driving. The National Safety Council says strong seatbelts, properly installed, are friends for life on today's hectic highways. Now, Act Two of The Edge of Evil. If Dr. Richard Narvik were a poor host, I'm afraid I was a poor guest. I couldn't quite obey his wishes to stay away from the tower. That night, when everyone was asleep, I slipped from my room and went outside. It was only a short walk across the lawn to the tower, and by now the cloud cover had cleared and there was faint moonlight. There was a large wooden door at the bottom of the tower. When I tried this, it opened. I was at the foot of a ladder. There was nothing but blackness above. Suddenly, 
As I stood there with my eyes straining at the darkness, I began to hear voices somewhere above. I won't let you get away with it any It sounded as though two men were arguing. I did my best to listen, but it was impossible to make out all the words. No one else will have you. You admit it. Now let us have a spark to this voiceless. Then, abruptly, a trap door opened, and a shaft of light came down into the tower. Now I could begin to hear the voices clearly. I warn you. Do not be any foolish. Chester, don't come any nearer. Chester... Now, Chester, get back! Get back, you fool! I rushed up the ladder as fast as I could. The trap door opened into a room. Chester, no! I think that'll take care of him for a few moments, Dr. Nordick. You have a very strong punch for a minister, Mr. Mayor. Well, I suppose I must thank you for saving me. But I seem to remember telling you not to come here to the tower. Some sort of electrical equipment. Now, look here, Dr. Nordick. I think it's time you explained a few things and explained them honestly. Wait. Chester is coming around. Oh, yes. Here, Chester. I'll give you a hand. Come on. Get up. You... You hit me. Yes, I did. And I think it kept you from murdering Dr. Narvik. Yes. Yes, that's true. I'm sorry. I knew what I was doing, but I couldn't help myself. Why would you want to kill Dr. Narvik, Chester? Chester, do not answer that question. What are you hiding, Narvik? It's none of your concern. Chester, think what happens to you if you do not have me. Uh, I... I... All right. I will say nothing. That's better, Chester. Dr. Narvik, if you don't want Chester to say anything, I'm forced to ask you to make the necessary explanations. If your superstitious notions are beginning to bother you, Mr. Mayor, I have only one suggestion. Which is? That you leave this house in the morning. You are no longer a welcome guest. When I reached the house again, I headed for my room. Then I noticed a light in the living room, shining through the cracks of the door. I started toward the living room, casually enough. Suddenly. Lucy! Lucy, are you all right? Here, I'll help you up on the floor. It's all right, Lucy. You're all right now. Take it easy. Here, here's some water. There. That better? Jerry, what, what happened? I heard you scream and rushed in. I found you lying here on the floor. Oh, Jerry, it's horrible. I don't know what it was. The room was pressing in on me and the air was filled with something black and evil. Oh, Jerry. Lucy. Lucy, stop it. Lucy. Oh, I'm all right. I'm sorry, Jerry. I just, I just don't know if I can stand it any longer. And I don't know if I can either. Lucy. I know it's late at night, but certain things have to be said. And I'm going to say them right now. Your sanity won't hold up under this. But what can I do? You'll have to leave this house, Lucy. Leave? Where will I go? I I, I don't know. Have you any friends in town? No, I, I suppose I could find a place to stay, but, but it seems like running away. And in spite of the way Richard feels, it isn't really fair to him. There's an alternative, then. Convince your husband that you both have to move. Let him sell the house. Yes. Sell the house. That's very clever, Mr. Mayor. You know very well, of course, I would never, never sell this house. I'm afraid I don't see anything logical in keeping Lucy in this house. Not if you love her. Uh, but you're mistaken, Mr. Mayor. Every act of mine has been the most logical possible behavior. And now, I'm going to prove it to you. To both of you. Richard, I don't understand. You will, in a moment. Uh, care to have a drink with me, Mr. Mayor? No, Lucy? I don't thank you. Very well. 
I'll have one for myself, if you'll excuse me. You see, Mr. Mayor, I am a scientist. Throughout history, scientists have been destroyed by superstition. I find it unbearable that my own wife should be superstitious. I decided to prove to Lucy once and for all that what we call mysteries, spiritual matters, may invariably be explained in terms of the real and physical world. I'll be interested in that proof, too. Of course, Mr. Mayor. Incontrovertible proof. Scientific proof. You are familiar with scientific method? I know it well enough. It has its uses, and at times, its dangers. We shall see. I wonder if both of you will return to the tower with me. If you wish. Richard, do we have to go out there? The tower, it frightens me. I think this time, my dear, you'll find that the tower will merely educate you. Come. No light upstairs. That's strange. Chester always works at this hour. Wait a minute. Look up there. The trapdoor is opening. There is a light. Yes. A small one. From a candle. Why would he be using a candle? Richard, shouldn't we go back to the house? Be quiet, Lucy. Chester! Are you up there, Chester? Yes! I am up here, Dr. Narvik! Don't come any further! Chester, what kind of nonsense is this? I'm not going to live this way any longer! I've left a letter! It tells everything! Chester, what are you talking about? Look out, Dr. Narvik! I'm coming down! No, Chester, don't stop! Chester, wait! I've made up my mind! No, Chester! Oh, God. Very well, Lucy. Mr. Mayor, you've read Chester's suicide note. Now you know the whole story. We'll go back to the house, call the police. But first, I want you both to have a good look at the laboratory here on top of the tower. It is part of what I wish to explain. Let me get everything straight now, Dr. Novick. You kept Chester here because of his brilliant theories, and you passed them off as your own. Take a good look at this laboratory before he returns to the house. I cannot expect you to understand this equipment, but to oversimplify, these are oscillators that generate supersonic waves. These are parabolic reflectors that send them into the house. They can be focused on any room. And now if you'll come back to the house, I'll explain further. Richard, please, let's get out of here. Very well, we shall go back. And I think, Lucy, when you hear what I have to say... Yes. ...you'll perhaps come to your senses. All right, we're here, Dr. Novick, and we're waiting for your great revelation, whatever it is. I said it would prove to you that all so-called mysteries have a physical cause. Supersonic waves, as you perhaps know, are merely sound vibrations far beyond the range of the human ear. But when you are caught in a certain pattern of directed waves... You cannot hear them, but you are filled with nameless terror. Yes, Lucy, with a feeling of evil pressing in upon you, overwhelming you. Then you made me feel that way. You ended this horrible equipment of yours. For a reason, Lucy, to prove to you that all your beliefs about spirits, about mysteries, yes, about even the gods you worship, were merely superstition. Novick, what did you hope to gain by this? I hope merely that Lucy would come to her senses. The same applies to you, Mr. Mayor. It was not difficult to place a lighter in your hand or to use a speaker to make that skull moan. Wait a minute. What's that? 
What's what? That sound, or is it a sound? I think I feel it, too. It's more like like a strange force coming into the room. Impossible! Just the same, I feel something. It's the same as before. That feeling of evil. Not quite the same. Seems different this time. Wait. I can hear something, too. I'm surprised you admit it, Dr. Narvik. Be calm now. This can be explained. But it is a strange feeling. What is it? You're asking us, Dr. Narvik? You're the scientific expert. Why don't you tell us? Jerry! Yes, Lucy? It is different this time. It's evil, Jerry. It's almost pure evil. Look, lights are getting dim. Everybody be calm now. I'm sure this can be explained. <laughs> what was that? Don't you know, Dr. Narvik? It's pressing in on us. Whatever it is, it wants to kill us. Impossible. Lucy's right. I can sense it. It wants to kill us. Impossible. Impossible. <laughs> created something in spite of yourself, Narvik? An apparition? A ghost? No. There are no ghosts. Ghosts do not exist. But this exists, whatever it is. It not only exists, but it's here to kill us. Quick, let's get out of here. Pause. Wait. I, I can't move. What do you mean? Something holding me here. Some force. I cannot move. Nonsense. Here, let me help you. <laughs> Jerry, what's the trouble? I don't know. There is some force holding you. It's too much for me. Help me, please. Don't, don't let me die. Lucy, I don't know what's happened here, but there's only one thing left to do. Is there a Bible here? A Bible? What for? Lucy, please don't ask questions. Get a Bible if you can. But there's one in the bookcase. I'll get it. And a bell, Lucy. Where's the Bible? Jerry, what on the earth are you doing? The book, the bell, now the candle. Yes. Jerry, that's what you use for exorcism. That's right, exorcism. The ancient ceremony to drive away an evil spirit. But Richard just explained it was his machinery in the tower. Maybe, but maybe something else has happened now. Please, please, Mr. Mayor, help me. Whatever you do, please do it quickly. This evil thing pressing in. I cannot breathe. Stand back, Lucy. First, light the candle. Now, the bell. Bell, book, and candle. There's an old form to this from the Middle Ages. Not many know it. I can remember the words. Help me. Please help me. From the apocryphal. Jerry, hurry, please. But the souls of the righteous are in the hand of God, and there shall not torment touch them. In the sight of the unwise, they seem to die, and their departure is taken from misery, and they're going from us to be utter destruction. But they are in peace, for though they be punished in the sight of men, yet is their hope it's, full it's of immortality. That terrible, evil presence. I think it's leaving now. Yes, it's leaving us. <sighs> You're, you're right, Lucy. It's fading. The lights are getting brighter. Oh, Jerry, are you all right? I think so. It took all my strength. Jerry, look. Novick. Novick, what is it? Look at his face, Jerry. Novick, the look of death. It got to him. Whatever it was, it got to him. Novick. <laughs> no. Richard! Easy, Lucy. Is he... Is he... No pulse. Oh, no! First, Chester, now your husband. There's death in this house, Lucy. He killed himself with that horrible equipment of his. It wasn't the equipment, Lucy. What do you mean? I looked at that equipment before we left the tower. Carefully. Jerry, what are you trying to say? All the wires were cut, slashed, all the connections. Chester must have done it in a rage before he committed suicide. Jerry, 
Are you sure? I give you my word, Lucy. Whatever killed Richard was not physical. Then, then, what was it? Give it any name you want. A thing, a force. The evil he himself had created. Call it Chester's ghost, if you will. <laughs> Jerry, it's still here! Strange. I thought I'd driven him away. Chester? Are you still here, Chester? Not Chester. Don't you know me? Richard! Of course, Richard. Evil never dies. He'll be the ghost in this house now. Until eternity. <laughs> have just heard Macabre, a special Far East Network presentation. Tonight's story, The Edge of Evil, featured John Buey as Dr. Narvik, Mitzi Hennessy as Lucy, Milton Radmilovich as Chester, and William Verdier as Jerry. Technical supervision by Hiroshi Ono, with sound patterns by Airman First Class James Connolly. Tonight's Macabre was written and directed by Walt Sheldon. Macabre comes to you each week at this time through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. <laughs>